And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Hey there, thanks so much for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. Coming up on this episode, we have uh, all kinds of updates from the farm for you. Unfortunately, it's been a... uh, Rather a hellacious week, you know. I have a theory here. We had a we had a Friday the thirteenth in February. We have a Friday the thirteenth coming up in March, and my theory is that we are just. I, I don't know if this is you at all, if it applies to you, but it seems like we're sort of suffering through a month of Friday the thirteenth uh, since the uh, the first Friday the thirteenth. So we'll talk about everything that's been going on uh, on the farm, and I can't do it alone. The uh, lovely and talented Miss E is with us for part of the program as well. Hey, babe. Hello, darling. How are you this evening? You know, I'm okay, considering we don't have any water in our house at the moment. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm better than you because I've been able to go to work. You have been uh, stuck in the house uh, with three kids and two dogs and, and uh, taking care of everybody during the day here for... Nine days in a row now. Nine <laughs> nine days. The children had off every single day from school last week. And while they were off on Monday because of super, super cold, and it makes sense, it's a countywide school system, you don't want the little children standing out on the buses. Right. Tuesday, then we got eight to ten inches of snow, and since then it's not gotten above freezing, except for today. Right. Now, you remember um, on the last episode I was talking about, how, how, you know, we had a pretty good summer, uh, or a, a pretty good winter uh, here in Virginia. Uh, we hadn't had a lot of snow. In fact, hadn't had any snow, and it had been pretty mild. Uh, saw my first snowfall when we went up to Harrisburg, PA. And then uh, I think the day after I uploaded that podcast, that's when the uh, the 8 to 10 inches of snow came down. And since then, uh, it's just it's been on the ground. It's been really hard to uh, deal with. We have a really long uh, gravel driveway. and uh, Yeah, almost four-tenths of a mile. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's fine for the, you know, lanes uh, a truck can get up and, uh, and, and down the driveway, and I just park at the, uh, the end of the road, and it's worked out fine. But, uh, you know, when the snow comes down, uh, it, it, it is a lot harder. All of a sudden, you know, we talked about uh, you got to break the ice when the temperature drops, but when there's eight to ten inches of snow... Uh, all of a sudden, all of the forage, or most of the forage opportunities goes away. You know, the goats can still nibble on the uh, the trees and stuff, but the the chickens and the pigs they're they're out of luck. Yes, and the things that the goats have found to eat aren't things that I wanted them to find to like eat. Like the anyway. rose bushes, right? They're, they're eating the rose bushes. They've been nibbling the bark on the rhododendron behind our bathroom i think they nibbled all of the buds off of the fig tree and last year the fig tree was killed in the winter because of how cold it was right and it never came back and i was hoping that it came it would come back this year well now the goats have nibbled on it so i and and you know and it it must have gotten i mean clearly it got colder this year uh because we we were below zero one night and that was the night i think that our pipes burst uh in the house and and that didn't happen last year so maybe the the, maybe the fig tree was going to die anyway because it it got too cold but that was that was our other discovery um was when it finally started warming up (laughs) <laughs> after well, after five or six days, the, we knew that the pipes had frozen. Th- that pipe had frozen. The pipe to the sinks, the the pipes to the sink were still going because we still had hot and cold water trickling. But at some point, the water to the bathtub stopped going, so we left the taps 
own. Right, which you're supposed to do. But I don't know what happened. Like, we got cocky because we thought the temperature was rising yesterday and we should shut it off. Well, here's what I think happened. And we'll know because the plumber's coming out tomorrow. But here's what I think happened. I think the pipes actually burst. But it was, but it was below freezing, and so we didn't notice uh, until after the thaw had occurred, and that's when the water started uh, spewing everywhere. So I mean, it, it actually could have been, it, it, it could have been could worse. Have been, right. Could have been a lot, you know, could have been better. Could have just not have burst in the first place. Well, but the nice thing was is that um, it is on the first floor of an outside corner of the house. Right. So it's, so the water has gone into nothing but the ground. Exactly. That's why. Yeah. I mean, it, again, it could have been a lot worse. Um, and and you know, this is it's funny. I, I posted something about this on Twitter. Uh, when this happened about uh, truck had a flat tire and our hot water uh, and our water pipes burst and somebody said that I was trying to write a country song. Um, the thing is, we have an old house, but this is not an old plumbing problem. This is actually a relatively new plumbing problem with plastic pipes and I think just poor installation. Uh, but anyway, that's going to get resolved. You know, it's just one of those things uh, and, and, and a lot of people are having to deal with this as well. One of the, probably the worst part of, of the bad weather, right, is the carrying the water back and forth when, yes. we, when we actually had water in the house. We yeah, when we had water in the house. Carrying water to the animals, to the livestock. Right. The the the, the hoses on the outside have all froze early at the beginning of the week. And so every single time that I've had to take water out to all the animals, I've had to fill up a big old... Home Depot Lowe's size water bucket full, which weighs about 40 pounds per, and make sure that I've done about four buckets full to get everybody watered. Right. So, fill them up in the bathtub, two buckets, take them outside, put on my, put on my boots and my coat and my gloves and my hat and what and deliver the two buckets come back in the house take off my boots and my coat fill up two more buckets put my boots back on and my coat and yeah i'm 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 pushing 50 and this week has been really hard on my one shoulder and my one hip so i can totally tell how hard it's been trying to move things around and then you're walking through eight to ten inches of snow in boots carrying right 80 pounds of water. Yeah. So it's been a workout. It, it has been. It may have been negated by the amount of uh, uh, fresh cookies and stuff that you've baked this week while you've been in the house. Yeah, it's been cold. So, yeah. I've I'm not been really complaining that much. Baking you make... bread, baking homemade chocolate <laughs> chip cookies, baking more bread. I know it's been bad. But... Uh, you know, it's a it's a coping mechanism yes. for the uh, the cold winter months. But, you know, you do muddle through. You deal with the uh, the adversity. And you, uh, you know, you just... you. you... You wait for spring. You adjust, and you adjust and you hope that your goats don't give birth on the nights that it's the coldest. But thankfully, we did go ahead and clear out that one shed. Yeah, we've uh, we've uh, usually the uh, the goats are outside. We have a couple of little dog igloos uh, that they go in. But with three of the girls uh, ready to give birth at any time, we actually cleared out a, a little a tool shed that we that we have. Put some fresh straw down in there. We've got a light in there. And they're going in there at night now so that if they... Uh, when they give birth, uh, yeah, it'll be a little bit warmer, it'll be a lot drier, and it'll be a, a good place to to come into the world. So that's the uh, that's that's the positive thing that we uh, we have going on. Now I got to tell you, when we come back, I didn't want to be too much of a downer here in the uh, first segment of Forty Acres and a Fool, but 
<clears throat> Last week, you know, we were talking about uh, Mr. Freckles, um, one of the other uh, goats here on the farm. And Mr. Freckles was sick, and I was kind of joking around. It looked like he was getting better, so I felt I felt like I could make a joke about, uh, boy, I really hope I didn't have to, you know, manipulate my goat because that was uh, that was that was kind of what we had to do. Well, unfortunately, uh, Mr. Freckles took a turn for the worse. And when we come back here on Forty Acres and a Fool, we'll talk about saying goodbye to one of the uh, faces of the farm. Stick around; we've got more for you coming up right after this. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool. We are uh, gathered around the kitchen table this evening, so you may hear some click-clacks of the uh, dog toenails as they uh, circle around underneath our feet, hoping for a a non-existent crumb to fall from the table. We are not eating dessert, guys. You can go away. There's nothing for you here. Uh, Miss E is with us, and as I I mentioned before the break, we had to uh, say goodbye to Mr. Freckles this week. He... um, Thought that he, we thought that he was getting better, and um, then, as it turns out, he he really was not. And I think it was uh, was it Wednesday of uh, this week. You called me and uh, said that he he was just in a lot of pain, and uh, you could tell that uh, it, it was his condition was worse. Yeah, it, we had called out the vet last week, and the vet had come out and had given him the antibiotic and a pain reliever, and. Um, well, we, we well we talked about having the manipulation, yeah, the procedure. Yeah, so um, he managed to extract some pus and some other things that sort of led to hit, led him to believe that he removed the blockage. But it was uh, he had warned that if he didn't get better, he could just get worse and it would be the end. And he like 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 you said, he looked like he got better for a couple of days, but. By then, by the day I called you, it, 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 he, he sounded horrible and he looked bad and he wasn't acting right. And you know him, he's, he's, he was a happy kind of guy. You go in and throw your fist out and he'd come and give you a head fist bump. And he, he was a cool, really happy, happy go lucky goat, I suppose you could say. (laughs) And, and he wasn't himself and I felt bad and. Yeah, it was uh, it was hard. You uh, you called me at work, and you were you had to take kids to the dentist. I mean, this is this was just one of those things. You know, uh, most people um, don't actually get to work on the farm, as as we talked about. Uh, I think it was last week we talked about this. There's a lot of off farm. Most people have off farm income. Most people have other jobs they have to do. They're not around most of the day, uh, which can make you know things like this a little bit difficult so you were getting ready to go to the dentist and take the kids to the dentist and uh it was about 11 30 my uh my show starts at two o'clock in the afternoon and um you said that that you would you said that you would put them down um but i i didn't feel right about that there are just some things that you know the uh and and i'm sorry i don't mean this to come off sexist but there are some things that uh that the man of the house needs to do and one of those things i think that 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 
husbands should do for uh, for their wives is you know to to take on some of these burdens when they can. And I knew that was going to be a really hard thing for you. It was a, an incredibly hard thing for me to have to do. I had never never had to do anything like that before. And and you know it's 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 interesting. I mean, we had we've we've butchered some of our own chickens before. Um, and that was not the easiest thing in the world to do, No, you know, but, uh, you know, Freckles wasn't really a, he wasn't quite a pet. It's not like, it's not like he was ever, you know, a, a house goat or no, anything like that. He was kind of our mascot. And- but he was kind of, exactly. That's a really good way of putting it. He was one of the first goats that we got. He was, he was the second goat that we got, but when we got him, he was only a couple of five weeks old and he was, he was our first bottle fed baby, which was why he was so great with everybody mm-hmm. he was used to people and we had given him bottles when he was a baby and he put up with pets and and but he grew up and he 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 was a he was a good you know he was a good herd sire to have he threw three does his first time out and he's gotten three girls knocked up this time <laughs> around so we're sure to have a freckles the second yeah odds any are good day now odds are good odds we're gonna have good. anywhere between three to five Goats on the farm. Yay, us. So here's my advice uh, if you ever have to do something like this. And I remember actually, as I, as, so I was, as I was driving home, uh, I was thinking about this. And I don't, it's, it's sort of, I guess, like a stoic uh, mental exercise. If you just think about the really the, the awful things that you have to do and you just sort of, you know, game plan it and, and, and run through it in your head so that when the time comes to actually do the awful thing it kind of feels like you have that addition you you've you've done it you know you've had a little bit of practice and so i would say that that helps um but if you when you have to do this there there's just no easy way to do it it's going to suck it's going to be really hard um but you you don't hesitate you know you you don't uh you don't delay and that makes it harder for you. I think it makes it harder for the uh, for the animal. I, I I wish I had words of wisdom here when it comes to dealing with a loss like this, other than be firm, be quick about it. Uh, it sucks, but you just go need to go ahead and do it. I, I don't, unfortunately, other than you know you really do need to do this. If I had decided to adopt a uh, an attitude of strategic patience for instance, uh, in hopes that, you know, things would just get better on their own. What would have happened is Freckles would have still passed away. He just would have been in a lot more pain and it would have been a lot worse than what it was. Um, you can't look, there are, there are all kinds of difficult decisions and really crummy things that, uh, that adults have to do. And we live, I think sometimes in a, a day and age where we go to great lengths to avoid the crummy stuff. And and there are lots of ways to avoid the crummy stuff, but you know there are those moments, there are those times when um, you just have to face that stuff square on and and deal with it. And the good thing is, I, I guess the, the silver lining is that once you face something like that and you've uh, you've dealt with it, okay, it's this is I maybe it's it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Maybe it's just oh maybe this is worse than I thought it was going to be. Oh, this is awful. But you get through it and you know that you can do it. And you know that you can face other tough situations. Um, and you can uh, do that for the people that you love. You can uh, do it for the uh, the creatures that you care about. And you can uh, 
you actually can learn a, a thing or two, I suppose. You can teach an old dog a new trick. All right, that noise in the background means that uh, our kids need to go to bed. So we're going to take a quick time out, send them upstairs. We'll be back with more 40 Acres and a Fool. Thank you, Miss E, for spending some time with us this evening. Oh, you're welcome. All right, we'll talk again. Uh, well, we'll talk again very soon. But uh, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to let Miss E uh, say goodnight as well and uh, put the kids to bed. We'll be back in just a moment here on 40 Acres and a Fool. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. So I asked not long ago to uh, tell me about the weird things that you're growing uh, in, in your garden this year or the the new things, not even just the uh, the weird things. My friend uh, Laura Carno from I Am Created Equal out in Colorado wrote in, said uh, she's listening while making bread and chicken noodle soup. Yeah. Oh, seemed like the right time to tune in, she said. I like that. I think this goes well with the cooking uh, or making bacon, or reloading, or uh, you know, doing whatever. Looking at the uh, the seed catalogs, weird new things I'm growing this year. Laura says purslane, uh, corn salad, and broccoli rob. Oh, all right. So here's the thing. Um, I, I couldn't tell you a thing about purslane. Couldn't tell you a thing about corn salad. But when it comes to broccoli rob, I can tell you. A, uh, a good place to go for a, a great broccoli rob recipe. It is a, a pork sandwich from Denix in Philadelphia. It's, uh, I think, at the Reading Terminal Market. And it's a, a great crusty bread. So, you know, you make your bread, right? And then you've got the, uh, the, the pork, the roast pork. Oh, and it's in the little gravy. And then you got the broccoli rob on top of it. And it is delicious. Uh, years ago, my wife was coming home from New Jersey, stopped in at Reading Terminal Market on the way home, which was not really on the way, but whatever, uh, and, and, and bought a couple of these sandwiches and they actually wrapped all of the ingredients separately. So the pork was wrapped away from the broccoli rob. The broccoli rob was uh, in a, its own container. The bread was wrapped separately and we had assembled them when uh, she got home hours later. So it wasn't quite as piping hot as it was at Reading Terminal Market, uh, but we, oh, it was just fantastic. So look up that recipe online, Laura. It is, um, it is a great, great sandwich, a great winter uh, and early spring. You know, you get that, that nice crisp night, and of course, you guys in Colorado, holy moly, it's going to be uh, crisp for months and months. You'll enjoy it, I promise you. Um, all right, so this is sort of the segment that uh, we've been talking about, the, the books that I've been reading. I, I, it's interesting, you know, the, uh, there's been a lot of talk uh, this week about whether the president loves America. Uh, can, we, can we question uh, President Obama's patriotism like a, a President Obama questioned the uh, patriotism or at least the patriotic acts of uh, uh, the previous president, George W. Bush? And one of the uh, instapunnets, Glenn Reynolds, um, I saw over the weekend he had uh, tweeted something about uh, his his column on uh, or a column on how this is a uh, this accusation is a a problem for the other uh, president, and I, I I chimed in with uh, and much of academia uh, because I think that this is not 
an assertion that uh, President Obama is a uh, a Muslim or that President Obama is a Manchurian candidate or that President Obama is not a Christian or that President Obama is an atheist. It is the 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 cultural accusation. I think I, I'm not speaking for Rudy Giuliani, but uh, you know when I look at this, I see this as a an accusation of the culture that we're not being taught what our parents were taught. We're not being taught what was taught in 1941. That we don't get these messages that America is a good place. That we don't get these messages that America is imperfect. But it is always striving for that more perfect union. And it is a perfect union. I think that's what we worry uh, has been lost. And it, and it's not, it wasn't lost, by the way, uh, under President Obama. But it may very well be that President Obama was the first president schooled uh, in this new history and not the history that can be found uh, in books like the American Citizen's Handbook. And that's what Horace Mann, uh, who's the father of uh, public education, he didn't get. There's a, a speech in the American Citizen's Handbook. We talked about this last week. Uh, from 1842, it's from his 4th of July oration, Go Forth and Teach. And it's an interesting uh, speech here. He, he says, I'm not going to quote the whole thing, but I am going to uh, quote a little bit. He said, basically, when the, uh, the revolution happened, and the Constitution in particular was, uh, was framed, that the, the, the founding fathers, uh, the leading intellectuals, the leading businessmen, the, uh, the, the powerful, the elite of the country, the one percenters, should have established a system of public education at the time of the founding. Uh, but they didn't. And he says it's because uh, for want of that interest and sympathy in the condition of the poor and the ignorant which the new circumstances required, they and their descendants have, have been and will be compelled to drink potions more bitter than hemlock as their daily beverage. Well, I don't agree with that. I, I don't agree with that. I think that there was uh, opposition not just from the 1%, but there was a lot of grassroots opposition, a lot of opposition from the 99% to a series or, or a, uh, a, a nationwide system of public schools. But Horace Mann's not around to disagree with me, so we'll move on. Anyway, he said, With the change in the organic structure of our government, there should have been corresponding changes in all public measures and institutions. For every dollar given by the wealthy or by the state to colleges to cultivate the higher branches of knowledge, a hundred should have been given to primary education. For every acre of land bestowed upon an academy, a province should have been granted to common schools. Select schools for select children should have been discarded, and universal education joined hands with universal suffrage. Instead of the old order of nobility with its baubles and its puerilities, a new order would have been created, an order of teachers, wise, benevolent, filled with Christian enthusiasm, and rewarded and honored by all, an order looking forwards to a noble line of benefactors which they might help to rear rather than backwards to ancestors from whom they had basely degenerated. He said, in these schools, the first great principle of a Republican government, that of native inborn equality, should have been practically inculcated by their being open to all, good enough for all, and attended by all. Here, too, he says, the second great principle of a Republican government should have been taught that all men who natively equal become inherently unequal the moment that one grows wiser or better than his fellow. 
The doctrine of higher and lower classes in society should have been retained, but with a change in application. Those who had done the most good to mankind should have been honored as the highest, while those who had done no good to the race, either by the labors of the hand or by the labors of the mind, who had lived without requital upon the earnings of others, and left the world no better or made it no worse than they had found it, should have been thrust down in the scale of social consideration to low or lower through all degrees of comparison. Whatever of leisure or of knowledge was possessed by the more wealthy or educated should have been freely expended to enlighten the laboring classes. Lectures, libraries, lyceums, mechanics institutes should everywhere have been fostered, scientific tracts gratuitously distributed, and a drowning child should not have been snatched from a watery grave with more promptness and alacrity than an ignorant or an abandoned one should have been sought out and brought under elevating and reforming influences. Now it's easy to uh, say, oh, Horace, you poor silly man. If only you could see what you had wrought. But but keep in mind, 1842, Horace Mann's talking about he wanted a nation of Americans who could read and write, who could sign their name, who who knew, uh, could look at a ballot and, and, and know who they were voting for, right? He wasn't talking about uh, uh, institutions that would suck up uh, uh, millions and millions of dollars, uh, billions of dollars in uh, uh, tax dollars for diminishing returns. He, he wouldn't talk, he wasn't talking about common core. He was talking again about a, a literate nation, providing that backbone of a literate nation for all. And we have that. And we should thank Horace Mann for that. But Horace Mann did know that, uh, that there was more to it. There was, that was a means to an end. Literacy, being able to read and write, a basic education. And in this uh, 1842 July 4th oration in Boston, Massachusetts, Horace Mann said, quote, If the majority of a self-governing people are sober-minded, enlightened, studious of right, capable of comparing and balancing opposite interpretations of a fundamental law or opposite views of a particular system of policy, then all appeals addressed to them in messages speeches, pamphlets, and from the thousand-tongue newspaper press will be calm, dispassionate, adapted at once to elucidate the subject under consideration and to instruct and elevate the mind of the arbiters. But, on the other hand, if the people are ignorant, fickle, averse to or incapable of patient inquiry, prone to hasty decisions from plausible appearances or reckless from prejudice to passion, then the demagogues who address will adapt themselves to the dupes who hear just as certainly as the hunter adapts his lure to the animal that he would ensnare, and flattery, imposture, falsehood, the vindication and eulogy of fellow partisans, however wicked, and the defamation of opponents, however virtuous, will be the instruments by which a warfare destructive in the end alike to victors and vanquished will be waged. Let the spirit and tone of our congressional and legislative speechmakers and the language of the political press throughout the country decide the question which of the above-described classes they consider themselves as addressing. Yeah. So if that was the point of a uh, public education system, that was the means to an end, that a literate society would be a, a politer society. <laughs> Uh, and that we would uh, have all kinds of just reasoned discourse. And I I do say, Shannon Watts, I believe you're incorrect right there. Uh, and I do say, Cam Edwards, I believe you're incorrect as well. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that hasn't really happened, has it? Uh, we are a more educated uh, society than we uh, were in Mr. Mann's day. We are uh, 
certainly a more degreed society than we were in Horace Mann's day. But we, I would say, are uh, uh, no more uh, or less um, opinionated, no more or less uh, sometimes a plane on the outrage of the day. Right. I mean, that what Horace Mann described, I think, could uh, reasonably uh, be described as the uh, the partisan press in 21st century America, be it uh, MSNBC or Fox or uh, a great deal of of talk radio. There's not a great deal of intellectual discourse. Right. And uh, and that's fine. It is what it is. Um, but it, it's, it's worth noting that, you know, throughout history, Perhaps we've had these false ideas of, you know, look, everybody thinks that their, their thing is going to uh, change the world, right? Whether it's public education and, oh, my gosh, it's going to get rid of all of the uh, partisan press uh, or it's communism. Oh, my goodness gracious, right? It's just, oh, it's the next big innovation is going to change the world. And, you know, it doesn't change human nature. It really doesn't. Which is ultimately why history is so important, because while it doesn't repeat, uh, it often does rhyme. And to that end, uh, getting back to, I think, the reason for uh, Rudy Giuliani's comments, the, uh, the concern that uh, many in America have regarding the uh, president's handling of ISIS uh, and the Islamic State, uh, I, I want to recommend a book to you, and this one is much more accessible than the American Citizen's Handbook. It's available as an ebook. It is, uh, uh, I think, still to be found, perhaps even in bookstores. Uh, it is by Tom Holland, the historian Tom Holland. It is a, a fantastic read. Every one of his books, I've actually read, I, I believe, every one of his books, and they are great histories. He's sort of a, uh, he reminds me, he's a, he's a, he's a British historian, and I, I just sort of read him in this Charles... Uh, C.W. Cook voice, uh, and it's fantastic. This book is called In the Shadow of the Sword, The Birth of Islam and the Rise of the Global Arab Empire. It is a history of the uh, Middle East and the Mediterranean and uh, what is now Iraq and Iran, uh, all the way up to the uh, borders of Afghanistan, from the uh, 400s or so. Actually, I guess even before then, um, Three hundreds or so, up to uh, the mid eight hundreds, and it's a. I, I got to tell you, it's it's a history that I think is is well worth knowing uh, if you are interested in current events. And when you read this book, you will. If 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 if, if you're like me anyway, uh, when you read this book, you will be constantly amazed at at, at things that uh, you, you think maybe you should have learned. Uh, back in school, but you just simply weren't taught. And it is amazing uh, how little history, how little knowledge I, I think that uh, we are receiving these days. So if you want a, uh, a, a deluge of, uh, of knowledge and fascinating history uh, in the shadow of the sword, the birth of Islam and the rise of the global Arab empire by Tom Holland uh, is my pick of the week. Not that I'm going to do this every week, but anyway. All right, we're going to step away for just a moment. Uh, we'll be right back here on 40 Acres and a Fool. You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey. 
40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Plays Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool. I'm your host, Cam Edwards. As we start to uh, wrap up this week's edition, I am happy to report, well, actually, I don't know if I should report this or not. I'm I'm, I'm counting my chickens before they're hatched a little bit here. I I, want to say that uh, I'm happy to report that for the first time in the now three winters, this is our third winter, uh, that we have been on the 40 acres, we will not run out of propane for our heat. Yeah, that's quite the accomplishment, I know, right? It only took us three years. First year, we didn't even, um, this is so embarrassing, we didn't even realize that we had propane heat. Uh, We actually have a, a, because it's an old rambly farmhouse, we've got a unit for the upstairs and then a unit for the downstairs. The unit for the upstairs is an electric heat pump. The unit for the downstairs runs on the propane. So uh, long about mid-December or so, we notice it gets really, really cold in the house. We can't figure out why we, the heat's not working downstairs. So somebody comes out and uh, starts looking at the furnace and then says, well, I, I, I diagnosed the problem. Can't figure out. It goes outside, actually, and then it says, yeah, here's the problem. You're out of propane. Hmm. Okay. It was one of those green acres moments, you know, where, <laughs> yep. I'm the uh, moron from the city, uh, but we got it taken care of. And then last year, uh, our second winter, we had it filled up uh, when the winter started. And by the uh, by the end of the winter, it was a long, cold winter, you remember. By the end of the winter, we needed to get it uh, refilled, and we couldn't. Uh, there was there was so much snow and ice. That uh, that we they couldn't get down the driveway, and so we were without for I think three days before they could get down there. So same similar scenario happened uh, this time around, where we uh, we prepaid this year. We were smart. We got on the schedule. So all we had to do was say, "Okay, come on out." Uh, they came out and uh, uh, topped us off, and we were good to go until this week when I uh, looked and I saw that we were at. Uh, a pretty good margin. We were about 10% of the propane tank was, was still filled. So that's kind of dicey. Uh, but I think we actually managed to uh, get everything scheduled. I think they can make it down the driveway. I think they can make it down the other uh, farm road. I think we can get our propane without running out this year. And if we are able to do that, and I even give myself maybe a 12 to 18-hour window, uh, I will feel like I've accomplished, like I've actually learned something. So that's good. I'm excited about that. All right. Uh, you know, I love hearing from you each and every week. And so feel free to send me emails. Uh, let me know what's going on. Uh, with you and what you're trying to do. Hopefully it's not uh, as much home repair and pipe repair and uh, all the other just stuff that you have to do to keep the house functioning right now. Hopefully there's some fun stuff too. I uh, I got a great email actually, and the email address is 40acrefool at gmail.com, 40acrefool at gmail.com. Brian wrote in, said, uh, just listen to the new show. Very cool so far. Looking forward to more episodes. And then he said, let me establish my uh, bona fides. After growing up in New York City and moving to the greater Los Angeles area, I got into firearms. I'm a life member of the NRA and can usually shoot my way right to the lower middle of any worthwhile skeet competition. I did have a question, Brian asks. Uh, I live in the city of Compton, California. Yes, as in NWA's straight out of 
album. It's somewhat uh, unusual, somewhat unusual, in that we are in plain view of downtown Los Angeles, smack in the middle of an, a, a sea of humanity, and yet the city is zoned in such a way that Compton citizens can own livestock, which I did not know. That's awesome. I love that. Other Comptonians, he says, ride their horses right up Alondra Boulevard, past my backyard's wall every day. Alondra is a seven-lane street if you count the parking spots and the uh, suicide lane. And I have neighbors who get a new goat, sheep maybe, I don't know, I grew up in New York City, every year that mysteriously vanishes around the late fall. So Brian says, I've got the idea that I'd like to own a few chickens. I have a decent backyard for an urban dweller, but once you make this decision, how do you ever take a family vacation? I can get dog and cat sitters pretty easily, but how does a farmer find a pig sitter or a chicken sitter? Thanks again, says Brian. A great show. Thank you, Brian. That is a uh, it's a great question, by the way. And the answer is, um, pig sitters are. It, it's the, the answer is I haven't had a vacation actually since we moved to the farm. We used to take a family vacation every summer, and uh, you're right. It, uh, it it's tough to find a pig sitter or a chicken sitter because. Uh, you know, I suppose what you want is a house sitter uh, because it's not that the actual job of maintaining the chickens or the pigs is going to be all that difficult. What you need is somebody who can who can come over to your house twice a day without uh, it being a, an inconvenience for them. And they need to be able to do your chores. In the case of a chicken, it's making sure that they have water, uh, making sure that they have their, their food, uh, making sure they've got some gravel. Uh, letting them, uh, shutting them up at night in the coop and let them out in the morning and collecting their eggs. And that's it. What I would suggest, uh, since you live in that sea of humanity, I'm sure that you have lots of friends uh, who are interested also in, if not raising chickens, at least eating their byproducts. So I would suggest that after you get the chickens, you're not going to go on vacation right away, I would assume. Uh, you're going to want to enjoy your chickens for a little bit. So you'll have friends that will come over and they'll be oohing and on over your chickens. And a couple of them will be really, really interested in the chickens, I would imagine. These are your likely chicken sitters. And if you have to go away, uh, plan it in advance and ask them, hey, in exchange for any eggs that uh, you might get, would you take care of my chickens while I'm uh, gone for this weekend? I think what you'll find is that, uh, or even a week, I think what you'll find is people will say yes. Now, obviously, the with the number of chickens or the number of livestock grows the responsibilities. That's why we haven't taken a family vacation because it's not just, hey, can you let out the chickens uh, and shut them up at night and get the eggs, and you can have the eggs. It's also, can you make sure that the goats have water and that the goats have uh, alfalfa and uh, can you make sure that the uh, that the electric fence is on? Can you make sure that the uh, the pigs are okay and they too have water? And it means you're going to have to be you know hauling water to them because we don't have a uh, water uh, supply over where they are right now. Uh, and and all of a sudden that becomes a lot of work and that becomes a lot to ask of friends, right? So we haven't had that uh, that family vacation. We've taken a lot of day trips, which is uh, which, which is sort of our compromise. You know, we uh, get up early in the morning. Uh, do the chores a little early, get in the truck and uh, drive somewhere and then, you know, get home maybe a little bit late. Um, that That's that's our compromise, I guess. Although I will say that uh, every year I have asked Missy if she would like to, uh, to go to the beach because she loves the beach 
and she hasn't been for years now. Uh, and I ask her if she would like to go to the beach, and I will stay, and I will work, and I will uh, take care of the farm. And so far, she has said, no, that's okay. But I, I think, Brian, I think this year may be the exception. So I, I leave the farm for work. Um, you know, on occasion, I've, uh, I've taken a, a road trip or two, and I, when I turned 40, actually, I took a, a road trip to Kentucky. So, you know, I feel like I've gotten my opportunities to, uh, to take that break and to, you know, get away. But uh, honestly, you know, every time, every time I ask Miss E uh, if she wants to go, what she says is that she's truly happy on the farm. So I'd say it's worked out. But uh, let me know about your chickens. I would I would love to know what kind that uh, you get. As I said on on the last show, I, I I'm fascinated by chickens. I I just think they're they're really interesting uh, critters. They're not they're not bright uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but they uh, they're 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 fascinating to watch. Uh, they're like little soap operas. Uh, uh, just all sorts of plot intricacies especially when you have various uh, when you have more than one rooster and then there's you know the back and forth it's like game of thrones game of coops i suppose uh we started out with buff orpingtons and i i i think maybe in the fall uh and then the winter when the grass is dead and everything's that sort of gold color maybe they have a little bit more camouflage but i, I think during the summer boy they just these bright not you know these sort of copper colored yellow uh, uh, uh buff uh rooster or hens just pop out against the green and all of a sudden they just yeah they get eaten by coyotes a lot so uh we also although you know really in, in fairness i think pretty much chickens just don't have much of a uh, a chance against a good coyote uh we have not by the way lost any more recently that is because they are uh, largely uh on lockdown at the moment they have a, uh, we only have a handful left and we have a pretty big coop. So they have lots of space. Uh, and we let them out every afternoon under supervision, under the watchful eye of, uh, Missy or myself. And, uh, and then they go back in. So they are getting fresh air. They're getting uh, water. They're getting, they're getting everything that they need, uh, except the possibility of being eaten by a coyote. And frankly, they don't need that at all. So, uh, th- so that's, that's some good news. Now we have not caught a coyote in any of our traps that's the uh, bad news but one day i have hope that one day it will happen all right that is about uh, all the time that we have for you on this edition of 40 acres and a fool uh next week i want to talk about the uh the the it's a story that i think is going to continue to play out over the course of the year the uh decline and it has been playing out actually over the course of the last couple of years uh the decline in farm income in this country, you know, there are more and more Americans, I think, who who want to return to small towns. They 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 have that idea of I'd love to be able to move to a farm. The reality is that uh, net farm income could slide from a high of 129 billion just a couple of years ago, 2013, down to 74 billion dollars this year, about a third of a loss in farm income. And the president talks about a, a growing economy and how we're on the rebound. That is not the case for our nation's farms and farmers and those, uh, again, who uh, who care about these things. So we'll talk about that and how I uh, see this playing out here in the heart of Virginia on next week's edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. Thanks so much for being a part of this one. Until we talk again, be safe, have fun, live a little, learn a lot, and we'll talk to you soon. 
40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.